Today, we get to look at goodness and kindness. Uh, you guys know that we've been heading through the fruit of the Spirit, and so this is where we're up to. Uh, I reckon Steve knew this was going to be a hard one, so he slipped it to me. <laughs> Shh, ruins the story. No, um, when, when it comes to topical stuff, it's great when you get, when you get a, 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 just to get a passage and you can just exegete out from there. And with topical stuff, I, just, I often just don't know where to go. So I thought a great place to start would be with the gospel. Um, after all, that's what it's all about. But I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, we're continuing this fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not going to recap all that we've said so far on fruit of the Spirit um, over the last few weeks. But I wanted to kind of, I wanted to recap what Steve has been saying when it comes to the imagery of the, fr- the tree that bears fruit. If you want an apple tree in your backyard, you can't just hope that apples appear. Uh, if you want apples in your backyard, your primary pursuit needs to be getting a tree, planting a tree, growing a tree, and the natural outcome of that pursuit is that you get apples. And so it is with us, with the spirit. Uh, the healthy tree bears fruit, and we need to be healthy trees that bear good spiritual fruit. But this fruit is the consequence of the pursuit of the healthy tree. And the Christian, there's, there's imagery like that used in the Bible of the healthy tree. You know, we, we've already talked about Psalm 1, where the tree planted by streams of water yields its fruit in due season and its leaf doesn't wither. That's the picture of the righteous person. Our job is to pursue the health of the tree, and so we need to be drinking in the living water of Christ. We need to be rooted deep in the Word of God. And when we are seeking the spiritual health of the tree, God gives the growth. And the fruit is the natural outcome. So if you plant a tree in the right conditions and you feed it and you water it, then it can't help but grow fruit. You can't stop a tree when it is being looked after well from bearing fruit. It is, it's its job. That's what it does. It's the natural outcome of being a tree. But if a fruit tree doesn't bear fruit then there's something wrong with the tree. Uh, none of us, if we, if, we, if we plant fruit trees and they don't bear fruit, then there's no, like, there's no point for the trees. Normally speaking, we don't plant fruit trees because they look nice. We plant them because we are expecting fruit. And it's the same with God. God expects fruit from us. And that's why he uses language where he talks about like for the tree that doesn't bear fruit, for the vine that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts it off and throws it into the fire. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit within us to work through us and bring forth fruit. Apart from Christ, our tree is withered and dead and death cannot produce life. Uh, This reminds me of a a song by uh, Ghost Ship, if any of you know them. Ghost Ship, they, they have this song called Poison Tree and I wanted to read you some of the lyrics because it highlights to us the importance of the tree that is alive and bearing fruit. It says, this tree bears strange fruit. There's blood on the leaves and it's dead at the root. The cracked grey branches are decaying within, just like the black poison that hangs from its limbs. I tried to tie good fruit to a tree that had poison all the way through. It rotted and fell off. 
It was dead to the core. It even killed the ground, and I was worse than before. Come and dig me up. Reach down to the root. Rip the deadness out and plant something new. I am alive, and I will abide in the life-giving blood of Christ. I'm grafted in. You have killed my sin, and now I will live. I will live in him. So, friends, today as we discuss kindness and goodness, we're coming at it from a place where we need to understand that the goodness and the kindness, the fruit, comes out of the living blood of Christ. It comes out of Christ who indwells us by his spirit and brings forth the fruit. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been made alive We've been grafted into Christ, and he is our source of life. And so the kindness and goodness that we bear is from the life-giving blood of Christ. He waters and he feeds us. Our fruit is the natural outcome if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If we, if we pursue the health of the tree, then fruit is the natural outcome. And that outcome includes kindness and goodness. And so it's not just something where we can sit back and we can say, oh, I wish I was a kinder person. I wish I hadn't said those mean things to them, that, that person the other day. Or, uh, you know, goodness is too hard in this life. Uh, you know, it's too hard to achieve. I know that Christ has saved me, so I'll just kind of coast on through and hope that, hope that everything turns out all right. You know, we can try and pretend to put on a face of goodness and kindness the facade is eventually going to fall away. And if it doesn't, doesn't fall away in this life, the facade will fall away in front of the judgment seat of Christ. So we must strain. We must push. We must yearn for spiritual maturity to bear that good fruit. I, I was thinking about the athlete, another image that, that the Bible uses, that for the athlete, um, you can't just... He or she just can't sit around and be lazy and eat takeaway every second night and then just hope that when they get out on the field to run the race that they will be able to endure and push through and to operate well. They must eat well and drink well and train as they strain towards that goal, strain towards that prize. And we're spiritual athletes. We need to run. We need to endure. We need to run the race we need to eat well. We can't sit back and just consume spiritual garbage. I, I want to pick on some spiritual garbage that came to mind, things like the shack. I know you've read it. Don't read it anymore. Don't go and see the movie. We need to get rid of this fluffy Christianized garbage that, that is so easy and fun to to. to, to to consume, we need to we need to be feeding on the we need to be feeding on Christ. We need to be um, planted in His Word. We need to be disciplined. We need to have the spiritual disciplines. We can't let the spiritual disciplines pass us by and then hope to be able to endure the Christian life. We need God's Word to pierce our soul and cut the deadness out. We need God to rip out the deadness and plant something new. Paul said, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, but they do it to receive a perishable reward, a perishable wreath, 
but we do it for an imperishable. We seek imperishable rewards. And spiritual laziness and spiritual trash doesn't help us attain it. But the grace of God has freed us from the burden of sin and death. And he, by his loving kindness, has redeemed us. He's made it so we can have newness of life. We've put off the old body and we've put on the new body of life. We are filled by his spirit and enabled to go about the good works that he calls us to. We can be a new creation in Christ. And we were created in Christ for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were, we were called to freedom. Not, not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but as an opportunity to serve and love one another. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the Spirit, the desires of the flesh. In order for us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, we must walk in step with the Spirit. In order for us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, we must seek the health of the tree. To bear fruit, we must cultivate a life that is watered and fed by God. Now you might at this point be thinking, I thought we were going to talk about kindness and goodness. Well, yes, it is, but it's important for us to understand that this is where we come at kindness and goodness. Where we come at all of these fruit of the Spirit is out of a place where we see that we are fed and watered by God. I don't want to just talk about some ideal personal attribute. I'm not just here to try and G you up and go out into the week feeling good. I can do this kindness and goodness stuff. It's not to try and guilt you into being kind and good. I can try and inspire and manipulate you, but it will have no lasting effect. What will have a lasting effect is the work of God in you by his spirit. We are seeking to be willing patients who go to our spiritual physician. We want him to do the surgery on us. We want him to cut out the deadness, the cancers inside of us. And we know that God knows what is best, and so we should be submitting to him in his work in our lives to feed us, to water us, to bring about our good health. And when we have good health, we bear healthy spiritual fruit. So as we come to talk about goodness and kindness specifically, we're going to examine the properties of these attributes, but at the end of the day, I want you to remember this. God is kind. God is good. His kindness and goodness to us in Christ enables our own kindness and goodness by his spirit so just to repeat that for you god is good god is kind and his kindness and goodness to us in christ enables our own goodness and kindness by his spirit so kindness what is it i asked some people while i was preparing i said what What do you think of when you think of kindness? And what became clear to me is that kindness isn't something that people really know how to define. They talk about what what, they talk about kind examples, what kindness looks like, but it's hard to kind of encapsulate what kindness is. I got answers like just when you speak to somebody nicely, that's being kind, or doing nice things for somebody expecting nothing in return is kindness. But what is it? I mean, we all know what kindness is. We can recognise it, but it's just hard to kind of put a box around it and say, that's kindness right there. 
I suppose the best that we can do is to look at how Scripture uses the concept and build a picture from that. And so I turn your attention to the Hebrew word. I think it's pronounced chesed. So there's my full knowledge of Hebrew right there. But this idea of chesed is, is, is what we often get our word loving kindness or mercy in, in our Bibles from, um, or um, steadfast love in our Old Testaments. Uh, and, and Scripture uses this concept to talk about God and to talk about how people ought to relate to one another. Apparently, this word doesn't translate well into English, as you can see there by the meanings, that it's kind of like it's hard to, to put the word uh, definit- to definitively um, define it. But it encapsulates kindness. It has in it compassion and faithfulness, love and loyalty. It has devotion and generosity. And it also includes the idea of mercy. And one of the things that is clear is that the chesed is active. This kindness isn't something that's just internal. It's something that can't be contained within. In order for something to be kind, it has to, somebody has to be kind. They have to act towards other people. It's not a solo thing. As we've looked at past characteristics in the past few weeks, things like joy and patience, you could conceivably think of those as something that can be contained within, but kindness cannot be. Kindness cannot be exemplified. Kindness cannot be unless it is being done to other people. It must be exercised with others. You can't say somebody's kind unless you've seen them being kind to somebody else. So what does kindness look like? And I think the best way to know what kindness looks like is to look at how God is kind. And we don't need to think very far about what it means. Uh, We don't need to think for long about God's kindness before we come up with many examples of God's kindness. If kindness includes compassion and faithfulness and love and loyalty, devotion and generosity, then the easiest and most obvious place to go to would be God's relationship with Israel. But before we look at that further, it's worth noting that God is not just kind to Israel. God is kind to all. As, as it's been said in the scriptures, uh, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God provides life uh, to all. God gives good things to all people everywhere. Even people who are openly rebellious towards him. On top of that, God also delays his judgment. God has every right when people rebel against him to deal with that there and then. But God's patience is a kindness towards people, giving them opportunity to repent. But God shows his kindness in a special way to his own people. His people receive greater benefits from being in relationship. I want you to think about your best friend. Um, Think about somebody who you have a close and special relationship with. You might have many friends, but your best friend gains special attention. You show them special kindness that you don't show to others. You go that extra mile for that person. You spend extra time with them. You do the extra bit to help please them or help them. 
And because of that relationship, there is added kindness towards one another. And for God, he has a special relationship with his people, and he shows them additional kindness. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people were called Israel, and God set apart his children to make them holy. He entered into covenant with those people, and he blessed them with material and spiritual blessings. And when they were in slavery in Egypt, God rescued them. And even when, God, even when Israel was playing the fool and trying to run away from God, he still remained faithful. He still called and coaxed them back. And eventually, even his kindness led them to being let go in, into exile so that they could experience the consequences of their actions. Hosea described um, the relationship of God to, to Israel. He said it this way. When Israel was, a, this is God's words, God speaking. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more the went, they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who took Ephraim to walk. I took them up, in, up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and I fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. You see, God loved Israel. He cared for them, but they kept turning away. They kept running away. But even when God hands them over to Assyria and, uh, and to Babylon... He still shows his loving kindness and mercy to them. He doesn't just wipe them from the face of the earth, but he chose to keep them and to keep his promises. And even through judgment and exile and decimation, he kept a remnant and he kept the people of God. And God's kindness is exemplified in the way that he not only spared his people, but he would end up sending his own son to redeem them. God would send Christ to save his people. And that was the ultimate kindness. We're going to talk about kindness. That was the ultimate kindness. That he would lay down his life for a rebellious people. People who would otherwise have continued in rebellion. He generously gave himself enduring pain and suffering for the death uh, and death for the sake of others. He entered into relationship with his people and through Christ God was faithful, merciful and generous to them, and as he is to us. But that's all well and good for how God operates towards others, but how does kindness, what does kindness look like in the life of the Christian? In the life of the Christian, we take Christ as our example. He is one who died to save those who sent him to that cross. He died to save those in rebellion. He died that the sinner might live. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for each other. Scripture says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And kindness means that we deal graciously with those weaker than ourselves. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Let each of us please his neighbour for his good and build him up. More than that, we're not only called to be kind to those in our family or our spiritual family, but we're called to be kind to even those who are considered our enemies. Like we read earlier from Luke, I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's kindness. And as the Spirit works in us, we should overflow with kindness towards each other. Kindness is something that is unmerited though. I can't claim the right of kindness from you. It's not something that... um, that I have an intrinsic human right to from you, but it is something that you have an obligation to do to others because God has called you to it. And showing kindness in those situations when it is very obvious that somebody doesn't deserve your love and kindness is when it is most hard. Uh, I'm sure you can all think of situations where somebody's hurt you and you thought, they don't deserve me. They don't deserve my relationship. They don't deserve my love. They don't deserve what I'm doing for them. But in that moment, when the other people or the other person is being most insolent or hurtful towards you, we are obligated to show kindness. Do good to those who abuse you. And I I think of Christ. I think of Christ who, on the cross beaten and bloodied and bruised, nailed to a cross. And while he was hanging there, he prayed for his abusers. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was willing to forgive his executioners. He was willing to save us as well who treat him so poorly, us who actually sent him to that cross. And we should be willing to show the same kindness to others even if they sin against us, even up to 77 times. And we see that in the life of another Christian. It wasn't just Christ, but Stephen did a very similar thing. While they were throwing stones at him to kill him, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I'm sure for most of us, the relational issues that we go through are somewhat removed from the death experiences of Christ and Stephen. But if they can show that kindness there through the Spirit, we ought to be able to show that kindness in our lives to those around us. Because we have the same Spirit. It goes to show that our kindness doesn't get thrown out the window when it's not reciprocated. It's not, I'm kind because others are kind to us. And I noted Calvin said something interesting. He said, The charity which God requires in his law looks not at what a man has deserved, but extends itself to the unworthy, the wicked, and the ungrateful. Just like God had extended his charity to the unworthy, the wicked, and the ungrateful. So whether or not somebody is nice to me, I must be kind to them, just as God was kind to me. Remember, God is good, God is kind and his kindness and goodness through us, to us through Christ enables us to be kind and good.
What about goodness? What is that? Again, it's one of those things where it's hard to put it in a box. Many philosophers have spent a lot of time thinking about what goodness is, what makes something good. Is good relative? Is there moral absolutes of good? But we all intrinsically know good. We have a conscience that God has given us. And while that conscience can be messed up a bit at times, we know that there is right and there is wrong. There is good and there is evil. And essentially for the Christian, what it comes back to is that God is good. As Ray read in Psalm 100, God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. If God does it, then it is good. If God is like something, then it is good. It's a good way to be. If God says something is good, then it is. And goodness is something that is for the benefit of myself or others. God's work on our behalf is for our benefit. It was for our good. It is to help us. Goodness helps us or helps others. And I I wanted to define it as goodness is that which is morally upright and spiritually beautiful. And I was thinking... It's like the idea of hospitality. Hospitality is something that is good. And when you show others hospitality by bringing them into your home or feeding them, providing for their basic needs, just generally seeking their well-being, you are doing something that is morally upright and spiritually beautiful. So like kindness, goodness is illustrated by turning to the pages of Scripture. God tells us what is morally upright and spiritually beautiful. So while goodness can be an intrinsic quality like it is with God, it's best seen in the way that God acts towards people. Because the biblical concept of goodness focuses on concrete experiences of God and what he is doing and has done in the lives of people. In the New Testament context, the idea of good was a, was a concept, was an ideal. But when the scripture talks about what is good, it is concrete, it is It is actual. It is experiences. So how does God do goodness? Well, we only need to open the first few pages of our Bible where in Genesis we see a clear example of what good is. God repeats himself several times and tells us what is good, and that is his creation. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was good. It was very good in this case. And so when God creates something, it's good. It's pleasing to God. It's beautiful. It can even bring joy. And whatever is pleasing to God is good. But we get a picture of other things that are good, things of God that are good, like his steadfast love, his delivery of Israel from slavery in Egypt. God's law is good. God's forgiveness is good. You see, God loves his people. He does what is good for them. He does what is morally upright and spiritually beautiful toward them. He never goes back on his word. He doesn't deceive them. He doesn't abandon his people. In fact, he enters into covenant with his people and he ties himself to those people for their good. He gives them his laws. He gives them great spiritual blessings and he even gives them material blessings. But most wonderfully with God, he takes that which is not good and he turns it around and he makes it good. I think of the first example of that happening again in the Garden of Eden where God said it's not good for man to be alone. 
And so he set about to, to, to turn that into something that was good. But sadly for Adam and Eve, they would take something that was good and they would break it. They took what was most good about their world and they threw it away because Adam and Eve were more interested in their own idea of what good was than what God's idea of good was. And what Adam and Eve did is what we each do. We each try and conceive of our own version of what is good and chase after that instead of chasing after what God says is good. We reject God's goodness and we substitute our own twisted version. And we only need to look around in the world and see the political ideologies that people have to see what kind of weird, twisted things people think are good and should be pursued. We think we know better than God and we say so, either by outright saying that I can't love a God like that or um, what God says is, is silly or... We can even do it by the way that we uh, complain and whinge about what God has for us. It's a kind of a backhanded way of saying, God's not doing this for my own good. And when our goodness departs from God's picture of goodness, our goodness isn't goodness at all. The lack of goodness in us is so bad that the scripture can say, there is no one who does good All have turned aside. No one is righteous. No, not one. And you know what that makes us? If if no one does good, if all have turned aside, that makes us evil. Because evil is the opposite of good. So when we have departed from the goodness of God, we are acting evilly. We are being evil. But there is good news. God's goodness means that he sets about to make things that are not good, good. He sets about to turn evil to good. Think of Joseph. His brothers meant it for evil when they sold him into slavery, but God meant it for good. For God's people, he showed his love and mercy and compassion to take us from being evil and rebellious into being good and righteous. Through justification and sanctification, Christians receive when they believe. God makes them good and pleasing once again. God makes us morally upright and spiritually beautiful in his sight. And because of the goodness shown to us by God in making us good, he expects us to continue in being good. He commands us to be good. So what does goodness look like in the life of the Christian? God expects us to be good to one another. As we read in Luke, love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And Paul outlines in Romans 12 an excellent description of what it looks like in the life of the Christian. So I'm not even going to bother coming up with it in my own words. I'm just going to read it straight from Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Like kindness, goodness doesn't rely on others being good to me first. In fact, it should be expected that my goodness towards others might not be returned in kind, especially if I am loving my enemies like God has commanded. The Christian ought to be like Christ, who has not overcome evil, was not, sorry, he has overcome evil. We ought to be like Christ, who was not overcome by evil, but overcame evil with good. And by God's spirit, we can. We can have goodness in our midst as the people who are transformed from those who are not good and we have been made into what is very good. He has taken our evil hearts and regenerated them and now God expects goodness to flow from our hearts, our renewed hearts. So as we've been saying, we've been saying that God is good, we've been saying that God is kind, And God's kindness and goodness to us in Christ enables our own kindness and goodness by the Holy Spirit. These two concepts overlap. You might have been seeing in some of the verses that we've been reading. They both talk about kindness and goodness. And even as as translators into English have gone through and translated the original languages, there's a bit of overlap and sometimes they use different words in goodness and kindness and it's hard to kind of separate them. Because being kind is good, and goodness involves kindness. And these two things are characteristics of God. And because we have God within us by his Holy Spirit, we ought to see God's characteristics coming through. But like a tree, as we were talking about in the beginning, like a tree, we need ample access to water and nutrients. We need a healthy tree in order to be able to bear healthy fruit. And if we are starved of the living water... We cannot expect to flourish and bear spiritual fruit. Our primary pursuit is the pursuit of spiritual health of the tree. And the fruit is the natural and unavoidable outcome of a healthy tree. Kindness and goodness are found within God. And to have it in us with any real permanence, we must have God within us by his Holy Spirit. And I want to leave you with this final verse that comes from Titus that encapsulates how God has acted in kindness and goodness to us. It says, When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out to us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God is good, God is kind, and his goodness and kindness to us in Christ enables our own kindness and goodness. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you are good and you are kind towards us. We know that you are within yourself kind and good, but we thank you, Lord, that we get to experience that. That it's not some distant thing, but it is something that is tangible to us. We experience salvation through Christ, and we experience your kindness and your goodness through the body of Christ, the church, our friends and our family. We experience your kindness even as the way that the rain falls and the way that you give us life and breath and food. Lord, you are overflowing in kindness and goodness towards us. And we thank you for it. We pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives by your Holy Spirit so that we would bear the same characteristics as you, that we would be like Christ, that through your Spirit we would bear the fruit of kindness and goodness. Please, Lord, enable us to seek after spiritual health, seek after the pursuit of the tree. We pray, Lord, that you would plant us deep, that, you would, that we would drink deep in the living waters of Christ, that we would be rooted in your word and fed well. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.